You guys did Yay, a wonderful job. That was fun. Look at it. It's all pork chop on the top. Wow. Like, look at that. Yummy, the, yummy. That is the hard part because the that's pork chop so is hard. covering everything. Okay. Well, I figured there's an egg, a really nice egg in there. Lutan. Braised egg, right? The lunchbox that I wanted to get for you guys was a really cool one that has many different things in it, but it was totally sold out. I was super surprised. Um, but did you like the one that you did get? Yes, we did. This is a classic. So like nice. this is the classic Thank you, pork Andrew, chop. Yeah, you're welcome. Dinner. Thank you for lunch. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. <laughs>
In theory, the area that Hu had settled in should have already had an official Confucian school. All counties and other imperial units were supposed to have one after their founding. But despite having been established well before, in the 1730s, the sub-province that governed northern Taiwan doesn't seem to have gotten around to actually doing this. So, the nickname that all the sources I've found for Hu's Academy use, the first school in the north, are not just an exaggeration. This really was the first school for miles and miles around. The compound took the form of three sides of a square, joined together, forming a sort of three-sided courtyard. Along the top was a row of five buildings, while on the left and right were rows of six buildings each, running parallel to one another. At its founding, one end of the compound held a great pond that collected water from the surrounding land for the school's use and for irrigating the region's fields. Students at an official government academy would worship Confucius himself. But since this was only a private academy, the most exalted person students were allowed to worship here was the much later Neo-Confucian philosopher Zhu Xi, who lived from 1130 to 1200. It seems the school's founding and Zhu Xi's birthday happened to coincide anyway. This private school was endowed with significant farmland for its support, but the by then elderly Hu Zhuoyou seems to have asked the state to look after his school anyway. With a local government stepping in like this, it was only a matter of time before the school would have to move. The reason? The county seat at the time was in Xinju, some 90 minutes or so away from today's Taipei by car, and presumably a much longer journey away before cars and paved roads. The local governor wanted to supervise the academy more closely, that's why in 1781, just 18 years after its founding, it was moved to Xinju. The now empty academy buildings back in Taishan were put to other uses. There were occasional free lectures on Confucian topics, but for the most part it seems the buildings were used as storehouses, storing rice paid as rent to support the now faraway academy by tenant farmers on the surrounding land. The buildings were never outright abandoned, but they started falling apart. After many years, so too did the Confucian exam system. In Taiwan, late efforts at modernization failed to keep industrialized Japan from taking the island as a colony in 1895. Confucianism was done here. Back in China, too, it would only be some years before the exam system was abolished for good. In 1920, the old academy buildings finally took more than they could handle, and they collapsed entirely due to typhoon damage. Locals contributed to a 1921 donation drive for their reconstruction, but only three of the original 17 buildings were raised again. It's this much smaller reconstruction that's the basis for what we see today. Damage would continue well beyond the Japanese colonial era, too. The most recent big hit came in 2003. That year, a great tree that had stood behind the compound was toppled in a great rainstorm, crushing parts of the structures. 
At the time, the local government hadn't gone so far as to declare the place a protected historic site. But it did agree to designate the place an official historic building, a few rungs down the ladder. The city and an organization that Mr. Zhang belonged to both donated money for yet another reconstruction. The Academy's profile got a significant boost two years ago. That was the 888th birthday of that philosopher Zhu Xi, to which the compound was first dedicated. Since the number eight is significant, representing prosperity and luck, three eights in a row like this symbolized a lot of prosperity indeed. A big event was held to celebrate the occasion and mark yet another anniversary of the school's founding. The tradition has carried on, with big events each year that keep on growing. This year marked the 257th year since the Academy's founding. And a few weeks ago, on the big day, the founders' Hakka culture was on full display. The nature of education may have changed a lot in Taiwan over the past two and a half centuries, but the value that Hakka culture places on it has not. There was Hakka food and other cultural elements as a proud reminder of this Hakka love of learning. Gift boxes and special calligraphy brushes were given out to exceptional students from modern local schools. Also included were traditional pursuits like calligraphy, painting, and poetry, judged in competitions alongside less conventional or Confucian things like a table tennis tournament. The Academy may only have been here for 18 years in its initial home, but here in Taishan, local people are still deeply proud to know that their area got there first. They once had the only school anywhere in the north, and they're determined to keep the remaining buildings from that school in good shape to show off this heritage of learning to the world. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards, the Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win $2,500 U.S. dollars. The deadline is November 30th. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. Every day, dozens of Taiwanese variety shows air in countries around the world in every place where there are speakers of Mandarin Chinese. Local entertainers dress up in wacky outfits, act out charades, talk about embarrassing moments, sing karaoke, and compete in silly games that are good enough to keep any bored couch potato interested. And the best part of those programs, if you ask me, is the sound effects, which are played live during the taping of the show. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, we head to a local television studio to find out who's behind those amazing sounds. An ear to the ground. 
Every time I walk into a television studio in Taiwan, I'm impressed by how colorful it is. I guess they have to be big and glittery in order to get noticed on TV. With more than a hundred TV channels here, it's pretty easy to get lost in the crowd. I was invited to participate in a show about Taiwanese snack foods, and they needed a foreigner's perspective. The back wall of the studio was hot pink, fading into fluorescent blue. There was this huge plastic green wreath in the center, and a strip of blue sky with white fluffy clouds, a red bookshelf with assorted props, and a big red speech bubble containing the English word "true." The other two guests and I sat behind a table that had legs made of pink, green, purple, orange, and yellow rings stacked on top of one another. Of course, all this looks completely normal when viewed through a television set. When I arrived, the studio was still pretty dark because the lights were off on the set. The crew was bustling about preparing dishes of foods for us to sample. A production assistant had taped our names in Chinese, of course, on one of the TV cameras, and that was a reminder for the host. Off to the side, someone was scribbling on a huge piece of paper with a big fat marker. That turned out to be the opening lines for the host. Off in one corner, I could hear some funny sounds. Clearly, someone was playing with the sound effects machine. I walked over to take a closer look. The man playing on the keyboard is a guy called Awen. He tells me that he got his start as a member of a band that was playing for a TV show. Now he does a lot of the shows solo and is referred to as the keyboard lao or the keyboard master. That's something that's unique to shows in Taiwan. It started off as a quick fix for shows without a big enough budget to hire a whole band, but it turns out these keyboard lao shi can do something that a whole band cannot. They can respond quickly and directly to the action on set. So if somebody falls over, for example, or hits themselves in the head, then the keyboard lao shi can immediately interject some appropriate silly sounds. Awen is sort of like an invisible extra who's part of every single conversation. I ask him where he gets his sounds, and he tells me that he's constantly adding to his repertoire. He makes and mixes many of his own sound effects from scratch. I asked if he had any favorites, and his response. Sounds like these, he says, are more interactive. They inspire a response from people on set and from people in the audience, and presumably they get a reaction from people at home too. At times, it seems like the sounds he chooses are almost like his way of telling a joke or adding to the punchline, or perhaps his responses mimic the way the producers hope that the audience will respond. Awen says that some shows in mainland China have caught on, but most places in the world still don't have keyboard lao he jokes that it's because shows in other countries have bigger budgets. But I would argue that it takes someone who's particularly talented and can keep up with a fast-paced TV show. Awen tells me that there are only about 10 people who do this sort of thing in Taiwan. Today, these talented keyboard laoshi have become such an influential part of Taiwan's variety shows that even if there was a big enough budget to hire a whole band, you'd still have a keyboard lawsuit playing sound effects. Because without them, the shows would seem almost naked. <laughs> you gotta love those sounds, don't you? They even make me sound good. 
With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. No, <laughs> Andrew, I'm hungry. Okay, Ellen, pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the Feast, and this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. Good night, good morning. Good, good afternoon. afternoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever time zone you are in. One of the above. We could do a little, um, like, multiple choice. Okay. So people can choose the one that applies to them. What do you think? Oh, that would be fabulous. Because mm, people are listening at different times of the day, right? Right. Mm. I mean, it is a internet show, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And people are listening from different parts of the world. Okay. But yes. we are, according to now, is in the afternoon and noon time. It is about, yeah, it's noon. Almost yeah. exactly noon here in Taipei. Okay, so we're, we're kind of like having a lunch menu right now. <laughs> yes, that's right. We always do our Feast Meets West recordings at lunchtime. Right, or afternoon. Or afternoon. Mm -hmm. That's a little secret. I don't think people uh -huh. knew that. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about some old foods. That doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? No. <laughs> but, you know, there are a lot of old foods, I have to say. Yeah, like what kinds of old foods? Thousand years egg. Thousand year egg, okay. So not, li not literally a thousand years, but it's been preserved. Preserved for, I don't know how many years, you know, you, you can never tell, right? I don't think it's a number of years. I think it's a matter of like a month, maybe. Well, how do you know? Well, I don't know. You're right. You don't know, right? <laughs> See? Well, I mean, what's the oldest thing you think you've eaten before? Well, you know, I kind of like, you know, just judge it with my own eyes you know it's like sometimes <laughs> if i feel that the food is okay uh -huh. it's still in a safe container and uh, i don't see any furry mode on it oh no i kind of just you know go with the flow go with the flow and take a bite so you don't use your nose you use your eyes well i would smell it first and then i would nibble it first oh and if it tastes a little bit weird you're like mm. maybe not Right. What was the last thing you threw away because it was too old? Last thing I threw away? Yes, because there's, it was too old. This morning? <laughs> I think every day. It's like, you know, when you open up your refrigerator, there's things sitting in there for years. It's really hard to keep track of everything, isn't right? it? Right, especially like all the sauces. Oh, the condiments, that's the worst. Like, you know, well, like la jiao. I don't think it'll go bad, Chili right? peppers. Chili peppers. Pepper, right. Well, you mean sauce, right? The sauce, right. I, I mean, because a lot of them have either sugar or they have natural preservatives in them, right? Right. So, or some of them, of course, have also unnatural preservatives in them. Right. <laughs> so, basically, for those condiments, you know, if I kind of feel it's safe, I just use it. Like ketchup, like 10-year-old ketchup is probably going to be okay, right? Exactly. So it, it goes sour <laughs> anyway, right? Something like that. I, I think the oldest thing that I've ever had before is definitely some kind of alcohol. Because like you can have 18-year-old whiskey. Oh. You can have a really old bottle of wine, right? I also had a 40-year-old balsamic vinegar. Vinegar. Really? Mm -hmm. 
Ooh, is it good? And it costs like 200,000 NT. What? A bottle. Ellen Chu, that's like $8,000 US. I didn't buy it. Okay. It was this dinner <laughs> I went to and this uh this this host, he just took out a bottle, a balsamic, you know, vinegar. I was just like and, and and he's like, excuse me, I have to do a little introduction. And oh, I'm no. just like, uh-huh. And then it's like 40-year-old, and it's like 200,000 NT. So, you know, after hearing that figure, I'm just like, so am I supposed to use it now? <laughs> yeah, or just put it in a frame and sit it on the shelf. I Isn't know. Isn't that crazy? I mean... I'm rolling my eyes a little bit, I have to say. I think I was rolling my eyes after <laughs> I tasted it, because for me... A one-year-old balsamic, you know, vinegar tastes the same as the forty-year-old. It's know? like you're wasting that two hundred thousand-dollar bottle on my tongue. Exactly. <laughs> uh huh. I have a very like down-home tongue. I I can do like everyday stuff very well. I can do anything. Me too. You know, yeah. I mean, really high expensive tastes. I I think they were wasted on me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like alcohol in me. You know, it's like if don't waste any like good alcohol on me because. For me, it tastes all the same. Oh, I can't no. tell like a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old. Oh, no. Ellen, you can't say that at the top of today's show. I'm going to be making you sample a very old alcohol today. <laughs> don't you know I don't drink and drive? I know. And drink and work? I'm only going to give you a sip, okay? This is, this is work ethic. Hey, I prepared shot glass for you so okay. that you don't have to drink a whole glass you know, recently, of Recently, I think... Our dear Andrew Ryan, under a lot of stress, he's been serving alcohol. That's right. Can you hear in the, the studio? Can you hear the glasses in the background? Yeah. See, look, I brought little shot glasses, Ooh. so you oh don't my. have to have a whole glass of it. Okay. A tiny sip. Okay. So in today's show, we're going to be talking about a very—if you haven't guessed—something that's very old, and in fact, it is a very old yeast. From the Taipei Brewery, mm. which they have used to make beer. Do you remember our trip to the Taipei Brewery? Yes. Mr. Wu. Mm-hmm. And uh, he promised to make us a beer out of their 100-plus-year-old yeast. You. And so he did. It's a grandma-grandpa yeast. That's right. Grandma-grandpa yeast. Uh-huh. And recently, I brought uh, Leslie, who works here at RTI. I brought uh-huh. him there to sample the beer. I saw the photos. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I brought some back for you to sample as well. Ooh. But don't worry. It's very. It's only like 5% alcohol, and I'll just give you a tiny sip. Okay. And make you sit here for an hour. Let <laughs> me do it. All right. Let's have a look at the menu. Mm-hmm. In our first course, we're going to start by looking at some of the world's oldest food. Ew. In our second course, we'll tell you all about how and why the Taipei Brewery has kept their yeast alive for a hundred years. And in our third and final course, we'll be sampling a beer made from that exact yeast. That's right. So uh, I chose some songs today that have something to do with a hundred years. Uh, we're going to start off with Bainan Guti, which means... Hundred Years of Solitude. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. And it's by Kanghu. Kanghu. <laughs> it's actually a direct translation of a fat tiger. Fat tiger. Kanghu. Okay. All right. Much more to come when the feast continues. Anybody care? 
一个人走在充满后悔的城市里，每一个角落都是对你的回忆。再多的愧疚也换不回你的伤心，心里的歉意，再多的反省全都来不及。是在后悔之后才懂得珍惜那些你曾经为我妥协的委屈。现在才了解，已经没有任何意义。曾经的曾经，过去的过去，都留在哪里？Okay, so oldest food that are still part of Chinese cuisine today. So, well, over here we see that there is a noodle, Chinese noodle that date back to four thousand years. Ew! Who's gonna eat four thousand years old noodles? No, Ellen Chu. That's <laughs> not what we're talking about. I don't、okay. think anybody's gonna eat it today. It's、All、basically、right? archaeologists. Found remnants of the noodles from four thousand years ago,、oh. and we still eat that kind of noodle today. Wow! Although this kind of noodle, I don't know. Do, have you heard of this before? It's a millet grass noodle, a preserved millet grass noodle. So we have millet in Taiwan, right? Chow、uh-huh. mein, right?、Uh-huh. But do we make noodles out of it? Chow mein mian. Chow oh chow mein mian. That's That's a different kind. That's like a different kind、oh, of grass, isn't it? Yeah. Chow mai. Me.、Um, that's buckwheat. Buckwheat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Buckwheat. Buckwheat. <laughs> All right. So I never had it. I have never had that before. But、mm-hmm. apparently, wherever the Laja archaeological site is, that's where people were eating that.、Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is the noodles were still intact because there was a vacuum that was created by a bowl in the ground. Oh. So that kind of sealed the noodles in, okay, and preserved them so that they could still see them.、Mm. But I don't know how they—they they must have done carbon dating to figure out it was four thousand years old. I know. Yeah,、okay. smarter people than I. Right. <laughs> So、okay. what else do we have? Beef jerky in China. Okay, scientists located a sealed pot of beef jerky. Although the remnants did not resemble the dried pieces of meat we eat today, testing revealed that it was dried beef. 
So how do they know it wasn't the process of over the years that it got dried up or it was dried <laughs> beef before? That's, See, that's an excellent question, Ellen. I am, I am in the bones, in the genes, a scientist. So you, you know, are. this is not quite good enough for me. Yes, it All doesn't right? pass the sniff test. No, it doesn't. Okay, <laughs> so they just assume that. Revealed that it was dried beef. Okay. Well, I'm gonna hope that somebody else on the team was smarter than moi. All right. Um, last one. This is an interesting one. You know, bone, bone soup, soup is super uh, popular in the last like decade or so. Mm -hmm. People have made it a hip thing again. But ancient Chinese people also used bones to make soup, according to evidence from archaeologists. Now, an excavated bronze pot contained liquid soup and traces of bones that date back 2,400 years. Wow. I should mention that this all comes from a site called 12 Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, 12 wow. Tomatoes. All mm. right. And other really old food. In Armenia, they found wine that's like 6,100 years old. Ugh. I hope they didn't drink it. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm sure that they must have just found traces of it. Wouldn't it have evaporated? I know. Unless it was in a sealed container. She? Mm, they found uh, bread in England that was 5,500 years old. Mm. So these are all just hints that people were eating this kind of food that long ago. Right. In Georgia, honey, 5,500 years ago. I wonder if it's still sweet or a bee was like, you know, mm. stuck on it. Well, don't bees just make honey, period? Like, how do they know that people were eating it? Right. Hmm. hmm. Maybe it was found in the larder. <laughs> Maybe. Ireland. Mm. Butter. 3,000 years old. Wow. Oof. Cheese in Poland found uh, from 7,500 years ago. Ooh. So they would have had some good processes. They knew how to make cheese. Mm. And in Peru, they had popcorn <laughs> 6,700 years ago. I would love to be the person who invented popcorn. I'd be like, Bidu. what? Right. What is happening here? And then, of course, chocolate. They found uh, remains of chocolate in Mexico from a long, 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 long Ooh. time ago. Also an ancient food. I love the idea that these are all ancient foods, Ellen. Mm -hmm. um, of anything on the list, what do you think is the most surprising? I think it would be surprising to find hmm. Hmm, chocolate. Chocolate is, I mean, that takes some a little extra, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming it was sweet chocolate, but maybe it wasn't sweet chocolate. Right. Maybe it's just the cocoa, you know, whatever the amount they put in. Ground into a mole sauce. Right. But they need to add things to make it into chocolate, right? Yeah. I think mm -hmm. the most technical one of these is probably is maybe the bread because right. that may have required a leavening agent or some rising agent. Well, they have yeast. Yeah. Right? And they would have had to have been able to bake it. Hmm. hmm. The easiest one on here uh, is probably the honey. You right. think? Or honey and wine. Wine, they have to ferment it. I guess they, yeah. They can use like saliva to ferment it. Well, they did, yeah. yeah. Remember that time we had the uh, the. <laughs> I had it. Samicho, uh, the uh -huh. millet wine in Taiwan, fermented yes. with saliva. Uh huh. Ew. <laughs> it wasn't a very good idea during COVID nineteen. Yeah, although it's interesting though because like even like contaminated saliva, through the process of fermentation, all of the germs would be killed. You sure? 
No, I'm not sure. <laughs> it sounded good, right? Right. Sounded very positive. Yes, very positive. Okay. We're not going to test it out today, though. All right. All right. Another song. This one's called Yeast Xiaomu Jun. Yes. And it's by who again? You want to say this in English? The 36. Backwards roundhouse kick. Roundhouse kick. Backwards. <laughs> it's just roundhouse kick. Anyway, so we're going to listen to that. We'll be back in just a moment and tell you how and why the Taipei Brewery kept their yeast alive for 100, 100 years. years. Listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. All right. Okay. So this is the exciting part, Ellen Chu. Yes. Uh, we're going to tell you how and why the Taipei Brewery kept their yeast alive for more than a hundred years. Now, in a previous episode, we actually visited the Taipei Brewery, which is the oldest working brewery in Taiwan. Right. But I didn't see any yeast, so did they bring like you know apparition or ghost? <laughs> well, what's funny is I didn't get to see any of the yeast either. Apparently, right, it's top secret. Everything was empty there. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, it was in a different lab than when where you went. Okay, so how do you know it's 100 years old? I took Mr. Wu at his word because okay. he's a nice guy. All right, if it's Mr. Wu, I believe it. You believe it, right? right. So what we did is we went back there after he was done making the beer, which took about five weeks. Okay. And I brought Leslie back up in there, and we went into a special tasting room, which mm. is off to the side of their massive brewing room. Mm -hmm. And uh, he brought out actually five different kinds of beer, because mm. apparently it's not just one yeast; they have five different types of yeast wow. that they've kept alive for a hundred years. Ooh. Every three weeks for a hundred years. Can you mm. believe that? That is amazing. You miss one and you're like, oops. I know. We're done. So did you have a sip of the beer ready? I did. I actually tried all five of them. And does it taste any different? It does taste like beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after aging for 100 years, I mean, is there any kind of like difference in there? To be very honest, because when they bring it back to life, it's actually reborn, right? Right. So it's rejuvenated. It's rejuvenated. So what you're tasting is the new stuff that's on it, part of it. It's okay. not the actual old stuff, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. So the original yeast has probably long ago been replaced. 
So mm. it's just been kept alive for that long. Okay. Now, the five different beers we had, mm -hmm. I really liked one of them, but it was very bitter. All and right. actually, nobody else liked that. They okay. said that Taiwanese people like the sweeter or kind of more weedy right. flavored ones. So I chose the best one of all with that um, set of standards because I assumed you'd like something a little bit sweeter and a little bit more weedy. Yes. And so uh, we're going to first have a little Mister, uh, little talk with Mr. Wu. Let's hear what he has to say about it. And then in our third course, I'm going to let you sample it. All right. All right. So here is Mr. Wu. Cheers. 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 That's Mr. Wu you can hear there, and our coworker Leslie Liao, who has come along for the ride. We're sampling the first of five mm. beers made from 100-year-old yeast. That is smooth is the only word to describe that. That is wow. Just a little bit sweet, right? Mr. Wu says that his team made improvements to the beer to make it lighter and fresher. It's not as bitter as it was back in the day. Westerners like the bitter taste of hops, he says, but not here in Asia. So Taiwan beer and 18 days, those are much lighter. So what kind of beer are we sampling today? Mr. Wu tells us that they use the same wort that they use for Taiwan beer. Side note, wort is the liquid that's extracted during the mashing process when you're brewing beer. It contains the sugars that will be fermented by the yeast. The beer we're sampling has an alcohol content of about 5%. I keep commenting on how it tastes so fresh, and Mr. Wu says that's because it's freshly brewed. If you let it sit for longer, the flavors will age. That's why Mr. Wu insisted on having us come back after the beer had fermented for five weeks, the perfect time to taste it. So how does Mr. Wu keep the yeast alive? Every three weeks, they take the yeast out of the freezer and reactivate it. They put the solid yeast into the liquid of the wort to get it exercising. That's how they can maintain the ideal physiological state of the yeast. They do that with yeast everywhere in the world. Mr. Wu tells us that when he first started working at the Taipei Brewery about 40 years ago, there were just six people responsible for taking care of the yeast, and now there are only two. Sometimes, he says, he does it all by himself. Mr. Wu says that in Europe, places like Germany and the Czech Republic, they have older yeasts, the kind they use to make abbey beers in Belgian monasteries. It was the Japanese who brought the German techniques back to Asia, and Taipei Brewery is one of the factories that they built. Yeah. This is like drinking the ancestors, right? This is what the ancestors drank. The fruit of their labor. This is, I am traveling in time by a libation. That's basically what's happening. 100-year-old yeast, man, I never thought. What was the last time you touched anything that was that old that wasn't a building or something like that? I mean, something food-related? This has got to be the first time. I think so, right? My goodness. It's almost like a transcendent experience. It's not even about drinking a good beer anymore. It's about... This is from leftover from, like, last time. When this thing came into existence, the Japanese were running this country. All right, so that was Mr. Wu. Okay, woo-woo. Woo-woo. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to go into another song, and when we come back in our third course, you're going to be sampling this beer. Are you excited? Yes. I am the hundred year old beer. <laughs> right. So what is this song? It's called Ai Qing Fa Xiao. So the fermented love. Yes. Alright, and this is by Dai Shu Yao plus Playa Club. Playa. Playa. <laughs> Baby, 
So we have a container with some of the beer in it. Okay. Ooh, still has a little fizz. It does have a little bit of fizz. The fizz is kind of gone, I have to say, because this was, you know, a little while ago. And I'm just pouring a shot for Ellen. Okay. Smell it first. Oh, you can't smell the strong yeast. Mmm, it does smell very yeasty. All righty. So cheers. Okay, cheers. Hmm. <laughs> Same response. Hmm. This is quite smooth. I think it's pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Smooth and weedy. Just a tiny bit sweet. It has honey. A honey type flavor right. too, right? A honey beer. So I gave it to a friend of mine to try who's kind of a beer expert. And he Mm -hmm. thought that we could... Who's a beer expert? He's a beer expert. (laughs) An aficionado. Yeah. Really? And he said that it could be marketed as like a sour. So a lot Mm. of the beers that you add like a little bit of a fruit flavor to it. It does have a little bit ending with the sour taste. Just a tiny bit on the back of the tongue, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Do you like it compared to other beers? Yes. Because I know you're not a big beer drinker. Yes, I think so. You want some more? No. <laughs> I'm going to have another sip. You go ahead and have the whole bottle. It's a good way to start your day. Right. I mean, what am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like his energy drink. Energy drink. I rotate between coffee and beer. Okay. How's that? Good. I don't usually do this. This is just a very special week. <laughs> okay. You know, who could just let go a bottle of, you know, 100-year-old yeast beer, right? It's mm. a specially blend limited edition. You know, it's funny. I went to a like a, a big dinner at a restaurant, like mm-hmm. a stir-fry restaurant, and it was very packed and very crowded and lots of people. 
And um, people were like, where were you just now? And I said, I went to Taipei Brewery. And then for some of the people, I was like, I have something special. Do you want to try it? Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was very, it was like very clandestine. Okay. I was like pulling out this little like unmarked bottle from my bag and pouring little sips of it. And people were pretty interested in it. Mm. I think they were, they thought it was quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that people were like loving it as their favorite beer they've ever had. Mm -hmm. But I think the concept of it, it could be marketed. I think so. It's too bad that, you know, they're not really putting a lot of effort right now in marketing these things mm. because I think, you know, Taiwan beer drinkers are very popular. Mm. I mean, among all the people who love to drink, you see people drink casually. Mm. It's beer. And right? beer goes with a lot of things. It goes uh -huh. with stir fry, right? And good food, bad food, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, every yeah. kind of food. It's more of a casual drink. It's not right. like the the knock it back gaoliang or like right. kind of the heavy liquors, right? Because right. it's only about four or five um, percent alcohol. Uh huh. So among yeah. all the alcohol, probably is the most healthiest one. Mm, probably. Well, wine might be healthier. Really? Not yeah. beer. Uh, it's hard to say. It has the yeast. But I think the wine is good because it like it's supposed to be good for your blood and your circulation. Okay. And like things like that. But don't quote me on that one. All right. <laughs> well, he's not a med student, so do not quote him. That is correct. Okay. I'm not a scientist. Right. But we hope you enjoyed this look at a 100-year-old yeast that was turned yes. into a beer. It's kind mm -hmm. of fun. I think it gives you a feeling of history. I think so. And, you know, even though that these are rejuvenated uh, yeast, but I think, you know, just knowing that it's rejuvenated from a 100-year-old yeast, it just have that very different feeling. Yeah. Right? There's a story to it. Right. A sense Emotion. of being part of something bigger than yourself. Right. Yeah. And you just feel that this is exquisite limited edition. Yes. Right. And I think having been to the brewery and seeing the place and meeting the guy that makes it. Right. Also adds to it. I think so too. We need to market Mr. Wu. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, right. so we're going to leave you with our addresses today. All right. Our address, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at rti.org.tw. That's right. And next Saturday on The Feast, join us as we sample a black food for winter. Ooh. And we're also going to warn you about three white-colored foods that you should avoid at this time of the year. Alrighty, so stay tuned. Yes. We are going to have a final song, and it's called 100 Years of Solitude by Nian Guji. And this one is probably the more famous 100 Years of Solitude. Uh, not the not the book, but, okay. <laughs> but by Wang Fei. All right, so it's a, yeah, 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 yeah. It's the same title that we had with Pang Fu earlier. Yes, that's but right. By Fei Wang. All right, for Feast Meets West, I'm Andrew Ryan. This is Ellen Chu. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.